For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. The unsurpassed, profound, and wondrous Dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas. Now I can see and hear it, accept and maintain it. May I unfold the meaning of the Tathagata's truth. Good morning, everyone, and welcome. So, uh, for newcomers, I'm Taigen Leighton, the uh, guiding Dharma teacher of Ancient Dragon Zen Gate. I'm very pleased to have with me this morning my old friend, Hosan Alan Sanaki. Um, I'll introduce further in a minute, but uh, we planned... um, Oh, I don't know, a few months ago to have this uh, talk together uh, in the aftermath of the election. Um, and here we are, and it's actually the aftermath of the election in some ways. So, um, uh, well, first of all, I'll introduce uh, Hosan. Uh, Hosan Alan Sanaki and I go back more than 50 years. We're old friends. He's the uh, acting head priest at the Berkeley Zen Center, one of the founding temples in the Tsukiroshi lineage. Tsukiroshi is the founder, um, and uh, Hosan will also be the new incoming abbot at the Berkeley Zen Center. Um, Sojin Mel Weitzman Roshi had a stepping down ceremony uh, a week ago. So. Um, so Hosan is, uh, uh, along with being a fine Zen teacher and priest, uh, a, a fine musician, uh, a father, a longtime social activist. Uh, so we've worked together on social activist uh, issues for a long time. Uh, Alan was the executive director of National Buddhist Peace Fellowship. He's also uh, worked with uh, people in South Asia, uh, and other places around the world on um, social awareness. Um, so he has very extensive experience. Uh, so uh, just to start, um, we'll be, we will each be speaking some and then uh, and back and forth and then uh, hope to have time for uh, discussion and to hear from Sangha and to talk together about what's happening. And... Um, I confess that I feel great relief after yesterday. And there were scenes of dancing in the streets, literally, in many cities around the country. And so I wanted to speak from, uh, seeking to speak from the perspective of uh, Bodhisattva values and precepts and respect for all and caring for all beings. Um, 
And what I feel most is the need for healing. Uh, President-elect Biden also spoke of this, but I've been feeling this for a while. And on many levels, healing on many levels, uh, healing of the obvious divisions in our country. There are people who feel um, uh, highly marginalized on many sides of all these issues that are confronting us. So uh, how can we come together? But also, uh, I feel the need for healing of all the damage from the last four years. So uh, this is all very difficult. Our need for attention to what's happening in our country, in our world, is not just something that happens during election times. We will need to pay attention and find appropriate response or find how to act together or uh, talk and think and listen together. Um, even when it's not an election. But, you know, I, I feel particularly, uh, well, the situation of the children in cages still uh, on the border and elsewhere and um, separated from their, from their parents, forcefully, cruelly. I feel the, the difficulties for our environment and for climate chaos that's obviously happening. Fires in California where Hosannas and floods in the Gulf and uh, in many places around the world. So how do we act to support, encourage uh, healing there? Um, and of course the issues of systemic racism which have become so apparent now in All the uh, police killings of unarmed black people in the last year. Uh, this is not something that's just a function of the last four years. And, and all of these, many of these issues are not about just the last four years. So, what the, the, the uh, recent administration was not the source of a lot of these problems, but a symptom in some ways. The police killings are a continuation of the lynching that's been going on for centuries. So, how do we proceed? That's, for me, the question. And it's not a question that we have find one answer for. It's a question to continue to ask. We need to keep paying attention. We need to continue to respond. And of course, our practice is about paying attention to the world that's happening on our, on our seat, on our cushion, our bodies and minds, and, and looking within as well, where we are connected to everything that's happening out in the world. But our world is uh, in some crisis, maybe you know, practitioners have have all, have all Maybe felt that many times throughout the history of our tradition and the world. Anyway, we, uh, so 
today after the uh, election uh, was uh, called for President-elect Biden, again, I, I confess that I feel some relief, but I also feel uh, that uh, as humans, as Americans, and I'm glad to are joined by people from from overseas, that uh, we all are um, called to pay attention and to look at how we can respond. So maybe that's enough for me to start with. Uh, Hosan, would you please uh, take it away? Thank you, Tygen, and uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I want to start with a, a cosmic concern that came to me just as I was falling asleep last night. I was falling asleep and I kind of jolted up in bed thinking, oh God, what's going to happen to the U.S. Space Force? I don't know. It's it had such a bright future, and uh, now the universe is in peril because the Space Force will probably not be uh, put forward. Well, I could see that joke work very well. <laughs> um, the folly of the last four years, which is never discontinuous with some of the other great follow, follies and uh, depredations throughout our history. Uh, I, in the face of this election, I'm relieved. Uh, I did get to hear uh, the speeches by... Uh, Kamala Harris and uh, and Joe Biden last night, and uh, admittedly, I was in tears for a lot of it. Mostly, I think each time they cut away to show the crowd and to show the joy and hope on people's faces, and it's just the tears were streaming down my face, unashamedly. I want to, I was speaking this week with a friend who um, actually now lives in Chicago. I should get her to come by, uh, well, to come by Zoom to your place. Uh, she's an African-American uh, uh, teacher and uh, university professor. Uh, her name is Ayo Yutunde. And... Uh, she has a forthcoming book uh, co-edited with Cheryl Giles called Black and Buddhist. And we were preparing to do something together. And she brought up in the course of our discussion uh, an image of uh, a figure, an iconic figure or archetypal figure in uh, Akan uh African culture uh, in West Africa, uh, Ghana, uh, 
and the Akan uh, bird, or the, the uh, Sankofa bird, is this image. And let me see if I can show you an image of it. There we go. Can you see that? Yes. So it's it's very interesting. First of all, you may notice that that it is somewhat in the shape of an Enso. Uh you know, of a of a Zen circle. Uh just the way it the way this particular image is configured. And the image is of uh a bird that's moving forward and looking backward and depositing an egg. Uh, so the, let's see here. So the, um, it's moving forward into the present and into the future while looking backward towards what is rich and useful uh, and redeemable from the past and depositing the egg, which is the the essence of both those things. It represents, I mean, it genetically represents the past and it also represents uh, generationally the future. And I think that that is a wonderful image for our time. And it, it speaks to the universality of archetypes. Uh, I was really struck. I hadn't, just as I was looking through images, I realized that uh, it was resonant with the Enso for me. So that's just an image I wanted to, a seed I wanted to plant in your mind. Uh, the question that I, I want to share with you a set of practices that are how I am addressing the question of healing that Tigan raised. Um, I am so grateful that the election was called yesterday uh, because I confess that it was very hard for me to, first of all, to even dare to have some hope uh, before that uh, and wondering if things were still in limbo, what we were going to talk about here, uh, which is not to say that, that you all, you all may very well have, have something to, uh, to say or something to think or something to suggest, but uh, I noticed that I was uh, really filled with a kind of uh, impending despair. And uh, it was scary. And it's like that, that fear doesn't just, it doesn't just evaporate for me. Uh, I mean, I think that one thing that was revealed by the election is how deeply divided 
we are as a nation. And I don't presume that, that everyone on this call is on one side of that divide or another. But just there are divisions. Uh, there always have been divisions. Conflict is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it's, it's creative. But the values on which those some of the divisions were premised were, were so far apart and so anti-life. And this is, you know, this also, I mean, just the whole question of pro-life, anti-life, that's, that's a division. Uh, it's, it certainly is something that we can talk about. Uh, but when it turns to defending those values with violence, then uh, that that does lead to despair for me. So the divisions that I, what I think one of the core values that I take from Buddhism is that we're taught to turn towards rather than turn away. The precepts and our actions, what, what is wholesome is in the realm of connection. And what is unwholesome is in the realm of division. And so when I hear people on, on any side fiercely advocating division, uh, I want to take a safe step back from them. Not to reject them, but take a safe step back and not get hooked on my reaction to them. So the set of practices that I want to share with you uh, are something that I've been working with and thinking about for a long time. They were evolved, uh, I think they were evolved by uh, Bernie Glassman and his late wife, Jishu Holmes, uh, in, the, uh, in the early 90s. Uh, and Bernie sees them as really deriving from Buddhist principles and in a sense, deriving from uh, the three treasures. But I don't want to go into an explication of that. Uh, it's what he called the three tenets. And that's T-E-N-E-T-S, not the three tenets, those people who are ensconced in your house and won't leave. Uh, it's, it's the three tenets, the three, three rules for... Uh, for how to practice, and they're very simple. In it to be, there's, they can be stated very simply. They're not so simple to practice. The first one is not knowing, uh, which means letting go of assumptions. And I think that not knowing is really uh, much the same as 
what Suzuki Roshi called beginner's mind. Uh, where he said, uh, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are a few. Uh, so not knowing is really opening yourself to the realm of possibility. It's it's being just fully receptive, which is actually the mind of Zazen, right? This is this is our practice. Our practice is uh, is really to be able to include whatever comes up in body, mind, in our environments, and so that's the embodiment of not knowing. The second practice is uh, bearing witness. So from that that position of not knowing, uh, you watch. You watch what's going on around you. You take it in, and your receptivity allows you to do that. Again, if you want to to analogize this to a teaching of Suzuki Roshi's, you can think, uh, if you're familiar with the chapter that's called Control in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, um, he talks about giving your your horse or cow a wide pasture, and that the best way he says the best way to control people is just to watch them. Uh, and so it's it's really the application of your mind and your attention on the circumstance that's in front of you, uh, without without the application of some theory or dogma or belief that condition that. And the third, the third tenet uh, has been revised numerous times over the year. Bernie kept revising it. Uh, and I've come to my own version that, that I, I think really fits the bill. So my third tenet is, an appropriate response. So it's the response that is appropriate uh, to your open mind and to what you see, and you give it time to arise. And then, of course, you're, you're constantly going through this whole circuit of, uh, of investigation you're constantly returning to the beginning or returning to the to the um, bearing witness or you're having a response which doesn't necessarily, you know, an appropriate response doesn't necessarily mean the right response. It doesn't guarantee success. It just means, I mean, going back to what I said at the beginning, is it a response that promotes connection or is it a response that promotes division? So those are the three tenets, and that's what, what I apply to the problem of healing that Taigen was speaking of and that we can speak of. And to be quite clear, I feel that I'm at the bearing witness stage, maybe, uh, at most, 
I don't have an appropriate response that has not arisen for me. And this is where I look to you. I want to hear what, what you think uh, about what you're seeing and, and what you see as uh, a course for us. And I think this is, again, in the spirit of connection, it's our connection with each other. It's the collective wisdom of our communities and the people that we trust that uh, is going to get us through. And it's collective action that we've, that we've learned, certainly we've learned in this election, the collective action of millions of people swung this election. And I know that a lot of you were part of it and we were, we were too. So, so maybe that's a good place for me to stop. I don't know what healing looks like. I don't know quite what healing looks like, uh, but it doesn't look like triumphalism. Uh, and it's very important to be aware, beware of that. And it doesn't look like a rejection or reviling of people who hold even what we might consider very reprehensible views about the environment, about race, about science, you know, all of these things. Uh, And I want to see what the healing is that a new president and a new government can do because they said Biden said all the right thing and, and Harris said all the right things last night. It was a very skillful speech if you listen to it. You know, it's like, boy, somebody was really thinking this through and, and said it quite eloquently. But what are they going to do? What are we going to do? What does healing look like? So that's where I think I will stop. Excuse, excuse me for going on a bit. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alan. Um, I'll just say a little bit, and then Alan may say some more, and then we'll open this up. Um, yeah, not first, not knowing. Uh, so, uh, whatever viewpoints we have, you know, some 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 of us are studying the Eightfold Path, including Right View, and Right Right View in Buddhist perspective is. Uh, about not being dogmatic, about being about listening, being open to different perspectives, about being willing to learn. Beginner's mind, as uh, mentioned in Suki Roshan mm-hmm. talked about. So, um, paying attention is really important, and that includes witnessing. And then, um, so so yeah, we have to, and, and not demonizing anyone. We can look at actions as reprehensible, maybe, but it's not, you know, demonizing any particular person or people is not not helpful. How do we connect? How do we encourage connections? I think that's a good way to look at it. I would say helpfulness rather than harm, but I think connection as opposed to division is a really good way to frame that. Um, And then response. So it's not just up to... Uh, the president and the vice president and whatever cabinet they pick to save us from whatever, you know, is wrong. But uh, one of the things that's clear 
through this election season and through this pandemic season and through all the things we are, have been going through and are going through is that uh, people and the response of people makes a difference. People have the power, as has been said. Um, so, um, but then we have to think about it. We have to, we have to, uh, one of the things that Alan said that I really like is appropriate response is about not having, is not about having the right response. It's, it's trial and error. It's, it's making mistakes. It's, it's uh, not being perfect. But how do we try to respond helpfully? How do we try to respond that supports uh, activities that have come from sanity, from reason, from science, from uh, kindness, from caring? We, we will chant later, may all beings be happy. So how to respect, radically respect everyone, and not even just the human beings, the, the, the uh, beings in the environment who are, who are connected with. So uh, I think these three tenets, going back to Bernie Glassman, Ayosho, are very helpful. And these go back, you know, back to early Buddhism in some ways. So not having the answer, but then also being willing to speak our truth as we see it. That's the appropriate response. But then not holding on tight to some truth because reality is changing. The world is shifting. So how do we pay attention to it? So maybe that's what I want to say right now. Uh, do you have any further thoughts, Jose? One thought occurs to me. Um, some years ago, there was a uh, comedian who, uh, a comedian social activist who was connected with uh, our Buddhist community uh, by the name of Fran Peavy. Oh, yeah. uh, some of you may remember Fran. Uh, and uh, you also, some of you who were activists might remember kind of the motto that we chanted again and again, the people united will never be defeated. Uh, is that familiar to some of you? Uh, so what Fran's version was, the people united will sometimes win and sometimes lose. <laughs> and, you know, that's, uh, that's true. Uh, and you know, I'm really grateful that at least a degree of victory as of for a uh, group that I, the group of the population that I tend to support, there's been some, some, some victory, but the heaviness still stays with me. You know, and, you know, sometimes win and sometimes lose, there can be a simultaneity to that. You know, you're not going to win everything and you're not going to lose everything. And we also recognize that in the seeds, in the, the seeds of our actions, uh, there are at once um, 
there's at once victory and elements of victory, elements of loss in different uh, proportion. I will say, just to say, part of it, there's a tension there for me uh, as I look back, like the Sankofa bird at uh, at Buddhist teachings, um, I find a kind of idealism or idealization in early Buddhist teachings, uh, which seem to me, and my understanding may be incorrect, that certain victories are irreversible. That one's liberation, one person's liberation is irreversible. And uh, I will say to you, I don't think I've met that person yet. But still, we hold that as an ideal, just as we hold the Bodhisattva vows, uh, which are, you know, impossible conundrums. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them all. Delusions are exhaustible, inexhaustible. I vow to end them. It's like, in the language itself, there is a challenge and a seeming contradiction. So we do the best we can and hold to this principle of connecting and not rejecting. Thank you, Ellen. Um, And yeah, just bringing up individual or personal liberation. uh, There's uh, so much connection of that subtle connection, not with our, our ideal of personal liberation, again, as an ideal. And what is it for liberation, the ideal of our society? Uh, freedom, justice, liberty for all, which is also, uh, and it never been really realized, of course, but uh, it's an important ideal. There's a lot more to say about all of this. I want to hear from all of you. Uh, I know a lot of you have things to say. So we'll have some discussion now. Um, some of you, I'll call on people. Uh, David Ray, maybe you can help me uh, uh, so you can raise your hand. Or if you go to the, some of you I can't see, if you go to the participants box on the bottom and click on that, at the, um, at the bottom, it's, there's an icon to raise hands. And I'll start with Deborah, um, who has her hand raised there. So, Deborah, your chat. Oh, thank you, Hagen, and, and thank you, Hosan, for your wonderful comments this morning. As I was listening to you both speak, I was hearing your words, but I was also watching your faces. And I really sensed kind of a grieving or a sadness, some uncertainty. And it reminded me of just being a human, that we have suffering. If we connect to our suffering, we may also connect to the suffering of others. So that's been my pathway. I, it can be called empathy or compassion. And as I've been working with this, one of the simple ways I've been trying to um, 
navigate the past four years, actually, is um, using a practice of deep listening. I listen to myself, and then I try to listen to others. And I feel going forward, I will bring that to the divisiveness in our country. So I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We went Democrat, but if I leave 10 minutes from my house, it's all red. And I am an outdoor person. I hike a lot and I go out in this wilderness area and it's all red. I go down roads that are one lane and it was all red. And I deeply felt um, the divisiveness. I saw it in my face in bright colors, in homes that have nothing, are very humble, but will have a huge Trump sign. I'm sure cost a lot of money. So I felt the divisiveness where I live. And I'm just working with this in a deep way. Empathy for myself, perhaps compassion, empathy for others, and I'm practicing deep listening. Um, An addendum to this is I'm actually exploring something called listening circles. It's actually a formal practice coming out of the uh, first people traditions. And it's the use of the talking stick. And I'm involved with the group that's exploring this perhaps as a prototype to use in our communities. So I'm just trying to support that as you two spoke and I connected to your feelings that maybe we can all allow us to let ourselves connect to our own feelings. This is a very big time of transition. It's not simple, but I think this listening idea or whatever that may mean for someone, you know, just connecting to our bodies and what's going on. So I'm gonna leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. Um, Deborah, can I just say, so thank you for that. Um, we have been using, you can call them listening circles. Uh, they're also called council, council practice. And um, that has been, it's something that I really learned from uh First of all, from Egyoku Nakao, who is the the abbess of, of or former abbess, no, she stepped down, Los Angeles Zen Center, CCLA, uh, and we've been using we use it extensively in the Upaya chaplaincy training. Uh, it's one of the things that we train people in how to do and how to lead, and we've been using it in Berkeley uh, for both an open exploration of uh, what people are thinking or feeling and sometimes for a uh, more intentionally as a tool for addressing uh, issues that we want to come to some uh, common idea of. But it's, it's really good. It's, it's a very... It's a clear methodology, and you guys could do it if so inclined. Uh, and maybe you're learning it in a way that you can teach it, uh, and and that's great. It's a it's a it's a horizontal process that allows for no verticality. You know, there's no. It, it really try to har- tries to horizontalize power, and everybody in that in that dimension is equal. Whereas in other situations we have we have people in positions of authority and so forth, but in council it's horizontal. So thank uh, you, Alan. Are, um, 
Have you found a way to use that on Zoom? Yeah, it's not hard. Okay, well, let's talk about that uh, afterwards, and, and maybe we can introduce that here. I would love to do that. It's a way in which Zoom makes it easier, but because you know, it enforces a, a kind of uh, structure on us. But, uh, yeah, it's it can easily be done. Great, great. And, and Deborah, thank you for the report from Pittsburgh, my hometown. So um, I think Asian was next. Uh, there's a number of people who have things to say. Okay. Can you hear me now? Maybe I'll closer to the. Uh, I'll go closer to my modem. Um, thank you for talking. You're breaking up, uh, Asian. You're breaking up a little bit. Maybe if you take the video off temporarily, it'll be clearer. I don't know. Better? Maybe. Go ahead. Okay. Um, now I. <laughs> um, I. Heard, you know, heard a little talk about. And just, you know, we're, ha- we're having trouble hearing you. Sorry. Okay. Join my phone and back to me. Yeah, come. We'll uh, come back and we'll call. I'll call on you again. Um, uh, I think. Here. Yeah, uh, Dylan was next. How's how's my audio? Good. I think so. Here. Okay. Um. On healing, uh, I do think it's a good time for healing, and I I believe that some of the most fundamental work uh, that we can do on healing is really studying racism and whiteness, mm-hmm. both of those things. That the in, in our uh, my connection's unstable. Is the audio dropping out? Yeah. Um, rather than talking, I'll type it out and send it over to the host and, and uh, someone with a better connection can read it. Okay, thank you. Um, Asian, are you back? I think I'm back. Am yes, I back? I, yes and, the, and the audio is much better. Go ahead. Okay, great. Thanks. Um, so I just wanted to um, also comment on my awareness that we are quite a divided country now. You know, really, almost half of Americans voted a different way. And I know this group tends to swing very, very liberal. Um, I did hear our president-elect talk about the importance of compromise And I want to go one step further than compromise. You know, it seems like we see our country um, bounce back and forth like a pendulum, you know, from from, you know, this way of doing it to that way of doing it, liberal and conservative. And what I want to highlight is I think that we need to go a step further than compromise and to maybe 
rec- um, actually appreciate that maybe each side has something to offer the other side. You know, when I when I talk with my liberal friends, they we they feel that you know the conservatives are just operating out of you know unchecked greed and selfishness and when i talk with my conservative friends they feel that the liberals are you know giving away the store and i think that we maybe each have something to contribute to a discussion to how we move forward so it's maybe um compromise on the one hand but also allowing having enough humility on both sides to allow ourselves to be informed by maybe some of some of what the other side has to say to recognize that we don't have all the ideas. We don't have always an appropriate response and, and maybe an appropriate response can't be unless it includes voices of people who are very different from ourselves. That's so thank you. Hosan, do you have any response to that? Well, I wonder if what we have to each other is fundamental humanity, aside from any views or ideas. And I think that, that that's been the, I think that's been the pivotal principle in uh, most kind of open religious uh, or spiritual efforts to bridge differences, that recognizing that all beings are Buddha or all beings are uh, have within them the image of Christ uh, or all beings are a manifestation of Allah, uh, that if you value if you value the fundamental humanness of each person, uh, that's a starting place. And that the, you know, that our views are like shells or husks that we wear to protect ourselves. And that it's true that all of, you know, what from, from either side, The effort is to protect and to protect life, except that when you get to the edges of these views on on any side, you come to the place where you're seeing some beings as human and some as not. And so the dehumanization is really the disease. Thank you. Yeah, we have to uh, be open to listen to everyone, I think. There's a bunch of much more hands. I think uh, Sandra Lyons, who's joining us from Indiana, is next. Go ahead, Sandra. Sandra, I think you're muted. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, So I'm a little confused about how I would come in contact. (laughs) I don't have connections, honestly, with people who don't share my values. It's because I think generally I choose to go places and be with people who do share my values. 
and um, it, both in my, both professionally um, and socially. So um, I'm there's that <laughs> that I don't think I had actually have any direct opportunities to encounter many people who have very strong um, opposite values um, from myself, um, except maybe just very casually I might encounter people, but that doesn't seem like an appropriate place to um, bring up connections on those issues. Um, And there was a second thing. The second um, thing is... um, Besides opportunity is I don't know how I how to deal with disagreements around with people who flat out reject fact um, and don't seem to be very open to listening outside. So so I, I feel like. This is a little bit of a one-sided, you can offer an olive branch, but if it's flat out rejected, I'm not sure where to go with that. So that's that's what I have for now. Thanks. Thank you. Well, I wonder if some of you want to respond to that. I just want to say one thing, which is that um, in a context where one side is trying to convert the other or persuade the other um, and not willing to listen. Uh, sometimes there's n- sometimes dialogue is not uh, appropriate uh, or is not helpful. We can listen to others, but if they won't, if they refuse to listen to us, then I mean, there, ha- it has, to, there has to be a mutuality about it. And w- one way maybe is to find what is what is common ground? What what are the values that we do agree on? Uh, humanity, uh, common humanity, Hosan was talking about, and in interfaith dialogue, um, and uh, uh, Joanne mentioned in the chat box, trust and respect and self and empathy. Uh, but uh, it's sometimes sometimes it's, it's hard. To, sometimes tr- trying to talk to someone who doesn't won't listen. Uh, and it just wants to persuade, you know, uh, impose, uh, may not be helpful. And yet, to the extent that we can, to listen to others is helpful. It's not, it's very difficult. And I, th- I think a number of people in our Sangha have this problem with friends, family members. I, I have that myself. And uh, it's uh, sometimes dialogue is not possible. But if we can find places from which we can uh, di- dialogue, that's, that's helpful. I know others of you have uh, responses to this. Um, there's a bunch of hands up. Um, so also, I, have, I have Dylan's uh, comment now. If, if, okay. If, well, why don't you, you go first with that? And then I have uh, four other people. So uh, go ahead. Okay. So Dylan says, Healing for us in Chicago, I believe, starts with studying racism and whiteness for the future. For example, many people have a habit of saying in America that folks of color are, quote-unquote, minorities. However, people of color are the global majority. 
the harm of racism won't be solved when Biden and Harris are sworn in when January comes around. There are many of us in Chicago here. How many of us have friends that we visit regularly in Cabrini Green or Bronzeville or on 95th Street? If not, why not? Why is that? The divisions in Chicago go back much uh, much before 2016. How do we start healing here at home in our own city and set an example for the country? That's Dylan. Tigan, can I say something yes. to that and to yes, what? Yes, please. Yeah, so uh, to pick up on one thing that you were saying, and it ties into this, uh, sometimes words are not the medium for connection. For a lot of people, words are not a medium for connection. For, for I can tell you because I've been living in, I've been living in one community for thirty six years now, and there are some people who have been here for a very long time, and we do not agree on things. It's not, not so much on, on politics, but it can actually be on, kind of our interpretation of what Suzuki Roshi's way is, you know, something, (laughs) something that gets very, very granular. And we're not going, you know, I've realized we're not going to be able to talk this out. So in that respect, what makes connection is when we're washing dishes together or when we're cooking together, or when we're working in the garden together. And so what I would say about making those connections across difference, uh, first of all, where you live, look for projects that people are participating in, feeding the homeless, uh, doing some kind of shared uh, volunteer or service work. uh, And that's where we manifest our fundamental humanity. So that's one suggestion. And I think that uh, Io, who I spoke of earlier, she was a, one of the key, she was a keynote speaker at this year's Soto Zen Buddhist Association meeting. And she had this brilliant suggestion, which, uh, which I confess I have not been able to do yet, uh, but it's, I have figured out how to do it. She said, we Buddhists should find a black church, almost all of which are really open, uh, and you can particularly do it now during Zoom, and go to Bible study. Go to a Bible study and see how it's done and, you know, show and just learn not just learn about the bible but learn about how people connect with each other in ways that might be outside our cultural norms and it was very interesting you know people were were saying well are we going to be accepted blah 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 and, and she said that's exactly the point you will be accepted you know uh People will welcome you. They're not going to question that, you know, even if you if you say you're a Buddhist, what are you doing here? You know, uh, in very inverse 
of what they might experience if they came to a white church. So I think this is a brilliant idea for building bridges and and for learning. Uh, and it's something that I found a place that has uh, Bible uh, study on Wednesday afternoon, and uh, that's what I'm planning to do. So uh, that's an idea. It's another idea for bridge building. Thank you, thank you, Alan. Yeah, I, um, uh, I actually, uh, yeah, I went. I heard Ayo speak, and I also went to a class that she was teaching on um, uh, world religions, and was the Buddhist representative. I'm, I'm intending to invite her to come and speak at Ancient Dragon early next year. Uh, so, uh, I, and I'm, you know, a lot. Some of these things are difficult on uh, during the pandemic uh, in terms of working together. But yeah, you're encouraging me to think about how to do this on Zoom. So thank you for that very much. Um, again, we have a few people. Uh, I think uh, uh, Eileen uh, from New York City was next. Hi, how are you? <laughs> okay. I, uh, good. I, um, I love those. I love both of those ideas of that things are not going to be resolved through words. And and because I found that myself when you just life's experience and and when you're working side by side same same thing and how to get to that there's another another question that i think when i find myself living in a allow myself to live in a, in a less reactive way uh not by shutting down but as as if we're sitting um then the sort of magical things appear in my path that allow me to connect with others so it, it, it just sort of, you know, I guess like, attra- like attracts like, things just come. I was sitting in the cafe today, and um, there was so some people sitting next to me, and there was a dog, and they had rescued it from Thailand, this wonderful little dog, and we talked for a while. And I have this funny little meme that I kind of wanted to show them about Trump. Because there, there was cel- This is the West Village in New York City. There was celebrations everywhere. And... I said, well, I don't know where you land on the on the election. I didn't assume. Um, I don't know if I should show this to you. And they were they were they were not happy with the election, but they were slightly open. And so I made some comment. I said, yeah, well, you know, maybe going forward, we had a we had somebody who was a fighter, and now we've got somebody who wants to reconcile. And they were worried about the left wing because this is the media problem too. What we hear this problem with words. Mm-hmm. Oh, the left wing is the or are the, are the people who are dividing us? And I said, well, just you know, watch the language and see what happens. I, I you know, I I hope things will work out in a way that you like. And they were open to it. I didn't, and I, I wasn't lecturing quite that much, but I invited them in as opposed to saying, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. The other thing that happened was I have this. The only social media I participate in is something called Nextdoor, which is a neighborhood app. And you're not supposed to have any political opinions on it, you know, respectfulness and all that. And, of course, there were some leaks today. And um, there was a woman, actually, right before the election, there was a woman who said, are there any pro-Trump people out there? Can we start a meetup? And I actually thought she was being funny because this is the West Village. So I gave her a little ha-ha-ha. And it turns out she's quite serious. And then when other people found out she was serious, they started attacking her. What are you, crazy? This is the West Village. And right, exactly that. And I, I did my best to kind of diffuse that a little bit. Um, 
but uh, you know, like she, she has a right to speak. She has a right to speak. What do you? It, it, that that's the key right there. I think is how how to not be reactive, to be respectful, to listen to whatever that person's saying from the root of where they're saying it, and not engage in these nasty ping pong games that are you know they're they're made of darts and explosives. These little ping pong games are horrible, and and this is how things perpetuate. So just stop perpetuating. Um, I'd like to. I'd like to find a positive rather than stop perpetuating. I'd like to hear a positive linguistic turn on that. Um, but I, I do find it works. Um, just I do find it works. But it's, it's not a magic bullet, of course. It's just a, a day-to-day way of trying to um, work with what we encounter. That's all I have. Thank you for that. I have a list of, uh, on my list, I have uh, Fushin and Paul and Brian and maybe others. And I know there there's an active chat going on on the side. It's hard to follow all of it. But um, uh, Fushin, I think you were next. I don't really have anything more to say uh, other than what was said, except that uh, refraining from speech is frequently a very effective way of connecting. And we need to remember that. Thank you. Thank you. Paul Disco. Um, I, I think we've gotten caught up in this, in this current age and current moment. And and being bought the been sold or being accepting the idea that there's there's two sides and there's a division, and actually there is no division from a Buddhist point of view. There is no division. We're just one large group of suffering, suffering, suffering human beings. That's all. It's all. We're we're all deluded and we're all suffering. And and in the United States, we have an added disadvantage in that we've been taught that. That to to believe in progress and to believe that things are going to get better, and so your delusions are keeping my delusions from happening. So we, we start beating up on each other because where's where's that progress that we thought we were going to get? Um, it's just like just like it's, it's the same as an, as our individual self. We have to settle ourselves on ourselves, see who we are, look inward, as as Alan was saying, and figure out. What what we what is the what is the appropriate response? But just like the society has to look inward and see what it what it needs to do and what the appropriate response is, and not try to think that somebody's delusion is better than the other person's delusion. We have to accept that we are all suffering, all suffering human beings. Thank you. Yes. Ozan, do you have comments? Uh, no. Good. He's right. Paul's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Usually, yes. <laughs> yes, we're all suffering on all sides, and it's not just two sides. It's many sides, or it's each one of us is a side, or anyway. Yeah. <sighs> well, okay, Brian, you're up next. This has been a wonderful discussion, and I, this, I think this uh, piggybacks on a couple of things that have been said recently. Um, Paul and others. 
And that is that I think sometimes, uh, well, a lot of times we're moving too quickly towards our preferred solutions. And, and one way of finding com- commonality and humanity and compassion and all these, you know, respect and all these things we say we want to do is, is not necessarily looking for commonality in our preferred solutions, but looking for commonality in uh, our experience of difficult times. Um, mm. I think most people in this country are disturbed by um, a time of great change. There's a, there's a whole lot going on. And um, whether you're talking about the environment or the effects of capitalism, uh, the, the relations between races, uh, addiction that's going on, uh, the difficulties in the healthcare system, gun violence, uh, the, the effects of mass communication and the internet. I mean, this is affecting everybody. And there's some suffering going on uh, where people are, are really disturbed and they, they want to try to uh, see a way forward. And that's where we part company sometimes. And, you know, we believe one party or the other. It's that dualism that Paul was talking about that, that uh, separates us. But maybe we can return when we're, when we're with people, return to the suffering itself first and just, you know, talk about what it's like for us as individuals um, or as groups, uh, what is it like for us to experience some of these difficult things before we start talking about solutions? David Ray. There's, uh, there's an idea in um, the classical and European and Western tradition that, that this conversation is reminding me of. It's just, just the simple idea that, that, that civic, that shared civic affiliation is a kind of, is a kind of friendship. And that in that sense, I don't have to find a, a connection with, with someone else when I'm a fellow citizen. We're already fellow citizens. Um, Aristotle says that people who are together on a ship, you know, have, have already uh, of necessity a kind of, a kind of friendship. And we say that, you know, that we are all in the same, we're all in the same boat. And I'm grateful for this conversation for reminding me of that, that there's, that there's nothing that I need, there's nothing I need to figure out in order to feel my connection with the people who are my fellow citizens. So I'm grateful for that. Well said. Um, I'm not sure I may have missed hands up, David Ray. Are there others who have things to offer to this very fine conversation? Eve has raised her hand. Eve, go ahead. Yeah, well, I put some stuff in the chat box. There's... You know, there's a lot of activity that's been going on around trying to find ways of communication across difference. And I think part of the challenge is is to be able to come together and be able to share what's worked and what hasn't. Um, And I totally agree with the points about sharing um, stories and um, and. You know, and I, I, I find, and council practice does help support that too. And there's other ways of doing it. Um, but I wanted to comment because, <laughs> so just to tag on to the last comment about um, creating a shared civic and civil space. Um, so Eric Liu, who was Clinton's speechwriter, um, who's a very articulate person, um, it's in, he's in Seattle. So he started the Citizens University 
and and he's developed this format of a um a, a kind of civic church where there's a talk he calls it a civic sermon and there's poetry and there's music and then people have um can split up for the group discussion and so he started in 2016 is when he started that in Seattle. And then right now it's gone virtual and we're doing one on Saturday in Chicago. My friend, Daniel Wolk went to Eric Liu's training on that. And so I can send you guys the link if you want to come to the one on Saturday. I just want to say in response to, to what uh, David was mentioning, um, you know, one of my source inspirations over the last 10 years is, uh, has been Dr. B.R. Ambedkar in, uh, in India. And he, he was a politician. He was a, a civil rights activist, if you will. And he was a deeply spiritual person who led a a Buddhist conversion movement in, in India that is alive and growing today. And in his writing, uh, particularly as it evolved in the late forties and fifties before he died, he found no gap between uh, the manifestation of civil responsibility and ethics and uh, spirituality. His choice of spirituality was Buddhism, but he looked for, by by choice, because he was born untouchable. Uh, But he found uh, the same kinds of principles he certainly found it in Islam, in Christianity, and in some of the other religious movements. And he was very critical of, of uh, he was critical of Hindu nationalism. Uh, and of course, what we're seeing in line with what's been going on in the world is uh, is a rise in nationalism and a rise in religious nationalism throughout the world. Uh, But he did not exclude anyone from the, from the circle of existence as, as kind of Paul was saying, it's one being. And that was a perspective that he had from his study of Buddhism. And that created certain, that was for him in line with deeply democratic and equalitarian values in his uh, that he put forward in society, uh, and so I really look to. I'd be happy to talk with any of you uh, to give you some guidance towards what's relevant in his in his work, where to look. But uh, I found that very inspiring when I when I read him for the first time. I thought, oh, here is here is the clear articulation of, of engaged Buddhists, Buddhism, of a Buddhist ethics that was uh, cognizant of 
the fact that we were all functioning in one system, not in separate systems or, you know, little worlds or uh, sets of, of narrow interests. Thank you for that. Um, this has been a very rich conversation. Randy, as is hand. Hi. Um, thank. Thanks for your talk, talk and dialogue. Um, I've been I've been um, studying Tiger, and I've been studying your book uh, Faces of Compassion quite intensely for the last few weeks. And uh, the question came up as far as an appropriate response. It seems that. Um, there were books, oh, 10, 20, 30 years ago, when, uh, and the Christian tradition was, what would Jesus do? I remember there being one, what would Buddha do? And now I'm asking myself, uh, in, in the situation of appropriate response and the 70 million folks that voted uh, in a way that I didn't, and I'm sure most of us didn't, um, <clears throat> what would Jesus do? What would uh, Samantabhadra do? Uh, Maitreya, you know, I think that I think that those archetypes kind of can fit in the various situations we're in, and maybe it's helpful to maybe just think about that a little bit. Go back and kind of read from your book or elsewhere. Uh, remind ourselves who the exemplars of those people, of those bodhisattvas, have been, and and maybe there are ways we can kind of look for those energies within ourselves as far as our response. Uh, thank you for that, Randy. Um, there's a lot of subtlety to the Bodhisattva tradition, but just off the top, if I may, um, for Jizo witnessing, you know, which we've talked about, just paying attention to <clears throat> what's happening and where everybody's at and not demonizing anyone, but we're all, we're all in our various delusions. We're all in this together. The world is changing. So how do we pay attention to that and care about everyone? Maitreya, loving kindness, may all beings be happy. How do we pay attention? How do we extend that wish for everyone? Everyone is suffering in some way. This is the first noble truth. And it's a noble truth because we can actually... Um, Sit with it, pay attention to it, be upright in the middle of it, see each other's see each other in this world of suffering um, and in the end of suffering, but uh, mostly we're in the in the world of suffering, and then Samantabhadra, just to mention the three that you mentioned, just this uh, and this is also part of what Alan was talking about uh, witnessing and uh, uh, paying attention and and the the long term work you know this mm -hmm. uh, I, I appreciated what uh, Zengi Paul said about progress we have this idea of progress there's also you know I heard a commentator yesterday talking about Dr. King's talk about the moral arc of the universe bending towards mm -hmm. justice well maybe so at the same time I don't know I don't know if that gets conflated into, you know, modern ideas of progress. Uh, but Samantabhadra, that aspect of our bodhisattva, um, reality is just to keep um, 
working at our Bodhisattva vows, looking at it, paying attention, uh, this kind of uh, deliberate, long-term need to uh, pay attention, to witness, to look at, uh, to not know all the answers, to not, you know, espouse some ideology, but just to just to uh, witness, and then uh, to to be willing to respond when we see something where we can where we can help. And Alan made some very good suggestions about that. So thank I, you for that, Ben. Yeah, thank you. I, I, yeah, this, this idea that the moral arc of the universe bends toward freedom is is beautiful and encouraging language, and I think it's a bit misleading. We bend it. If we don't bend it, it ain't going to bend. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so the essential question <clears throat> is we, we study this stuff, we study these bodhisattva archetypes and so forth and study these practices so that we know, so that we can figure out what will I do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I strongly suggest is that this is not a passive or intellectual thing. Right. You will do what you are trained to do. Where the where the heft of training comes down in your life, that's what you're likely to do. So this is why we need to retrain ourselves. All of Buddhist practice is about retraining ourselves and, and freeing our minds from narrow self-conceptions uh, to to see the oneness of all beings. And there's training that you can do. Like counsel training is training to perceive oneness. Nonviolence training is training to perceive oneness. Uh, there are many other uh, there are many other uh, approaches and things we can do. But if we don't do them, we're going to fall back on our habitual our habitual training, which is which is often mired in delusion. Uh, you know, all of our trainers, all of our teachers, I've been training with with my teacher Sojin Roshi for close to 40 years. And I see even in his, with his declining health, uh, as he approaches the end of, the, of his life, his training is getting clearer and clearer to us. So we mm. have to bend that moral law. Yes, thank you. This is an active physical practice. That's a good ending note, but if anybody has anything you would like to add. Uh, well, maybe that's enough. Uh, oh, uh, Dale Kaufman, please. Oh, you were just bowing. Okay, I'll bow to you too and to everyone. Uh, David Ray, would you please give us our closing chant? Yes, indeed. And uh, I ask that everyone please mute yourself. Actually, I'll go ahead and just mute. And we'll chant today the uh, repentance verse three times before the Metta Sutta. And so the repentance verse. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, 
born from body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born from body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born from body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. Metasuta. This is what should be accomplished by the one who is wise, who seeks the good and has obtained peace. Let one be strenuous, upright, and sincere without pride, easily contented and joyous. Let one not be submerged by the things of the world. Let one not take upon oneself the burden of riches. Let one's senses be controlled. Let one be wise but not puffed up. And let one not desire great possessions even for one's family. Let one do nothing that is mean or that the wise would reprove. May all beings be happy. May they be joyous and live in safety. All living beings, whether weak or strong, in high or middle or low realms of existence, small or great, visible or invisible, near or far, born or to be born, may all beings be happy. Let no one deceive another, nor despise any being in any state. Let none by anger or hatred wish harm to another, even as a mother at the risk of her life watches over and protects her only child. So with a boundless mind should one cherish all living things, suffusing love over the entire world, above, below, and all around without limit, so let one cultivate an infinite goodwill toward the whole world, standing or walking, sitting or lying down, during all one's waking hours. Let one practice the way with gratitude, not holding to fixed views, endowed with insight, freed from sense appetites. One who achieves the way will be freed from the duality of birth and death. May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. With full awareness we have chanted the Metta Sutta. We dedicate this merit to our original ancestor in India, great teacher Shakyamuni Buddha, our first woman ancestor, great teacher Mahaprajapati, our first ancestor in China, great teacher Bodhidharma, our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher Ehe Dogen. Our first ancestor in America, great teacher Shogaku Shunryu. The perfect wisdom Bodhisattva Manjushri. 
to the well-being of all those afflicted with ills and to peace pervading for all peoples of the world. Gratefully, we offer this virtue to all beings, all Buddhas throughout space and time, all honored ones, bodhisattvas, mahasattvas, Wisdom beyond wisdom, Mahaprajna Paramita.